Hello and welcome to Everything's 5 by 4 I'm your host, Steve. This is episode 27, the 2021 Baseball Spectacular. So for those of you who have not heard the podcast before, generally what it is, is I talk about five subjects for four minutes apiece. Those are generally baseball, beer, books, soccer, and TV. But what I decided to do at the end of the year is just talk about each subject for an entire episode, uh, sort of five areas of that subject. Now, this is going to be a pretty White Sox-heavy episode as a baseball episode, but I am going to talk about some other things as well outside of the Sox. Uh, I am going to say that I didn't really pay much attention to FSU baseball this season, so that's not going to come up. The Marlins, there was some excitement there with Jazz Chisholm before he faded badly in the second half. Sandy Alcantara had a pretty good year. Pablo Lopez and Trevor Rogers were good, except when they were hurt. Starling Marte and Adam Duvall were pretty exciting before they got traded at the deadline because overall the Marlins did not have a good year. And that's pretty much all I'm going to say about that. I also want to say that right now is kind of a weird time to do a baseball episode. Obviously, you've got the lockout. You've got discontent with free agency before the lockout. Um, But I do want to say if you're really jonesing for some baseball, the Dominican Winter League still going on. You can watch it with an MLB.TV subscription. So baseball still exists, even if Major League Baseball does not at the moment. Um, Yeah. But anyway, with that said, I think it's time to break into the actual episode. So without further ado, here we go. Okay, so for those of you who have not listened to previous episodes, I do want to do a little bit of an explainer slash disclaimer. I more or less record segments live. I don't want to put too much time into this as a hobby. So yeah, you're not going to have a professional podcaster here. So sometimes I'm going to say um too many times or stumble on my words. I'm only going to re-record if it's just atrociously bad. So the mediocrity you're hearing, that is what it is. The other thing I want to say that's more specific about this episode is that what I'm going to do is each segment's going to be a top fives of a different area. And it's going to have a brief little intro before I get into the thick of four minutes about that area. So the first segment I'm going to do is the top five stories of the White Sox season. Now, I think almost immediately after I record this, I'm probably going to think of something else and want to make changes, but I'm just going to roll into it. And uh, so there's going to be some other things that happen during this Sox season that are important. And uh, yeah, I'm not saying they're not. These are just kind of my personal top five. So here we go. The top five stories of the White Sox 2021 season. So here are my personal top five stories of the White Sox season. Number five, Tim Anderson continuing to do Tim Anderson things. Uh, He became only the ninth White Sox player in history to have three straight 300 seasons. He made his first all-star appearance. He had a walk-off home run in the Field of Dreams game, and he had the highest baseball reference wins above replacement of any Sox position player, continued to do it with style and flair. 
but he also grew as a leader. Uh, that whole expected Tim Anderson versus Tony La Russa dynamic uh, drama that people were seemed to be rooting for never really materialized. Speaking of which, uh, number four, the Yerminator. So remember Yermin Mercedes? That was back in April, and it's been a long year. Anyway, he only had one pinch hit at bat in 2020, and he probably only made the team because of Aloy Jimenez's injury. Uh, but he did set a Major League Baseball record by starting the season with hits and eight straight at-bats. He was the AL Rookie of the Month for April. Uh, in April, he hit 415 with an 1113 OPS, which is ridiculous. Uh, he was famously scorned by Tony LaRusso for swinging away at a 3-0 count and homering off La Tuga, Williams Astudio, a position player for the Twins, when the Sox were leading 15-4 in that game. And Tony was also okay with the Twins pitcher intentionally hitting him, um, which is totally uncool to throw a player into the bus like that. A uh, number of players, including Tim Anderson and Lance Lynn, sided with your mean. Some blame that whole situation for his decline, but the truth is that your mean only had a 628 OPS and two base hits in the two weeks before that game. Uh, after April, he ended up hitting 196 with a 537 OPS and only two home runs. So pitchers just figured him out. Number three, White Sox pitching. So this is going to be a long one because there were just a lot of accolades and a lot of accomplishments by the White Sox pitching staff this season. So Dylan Cease led the American League in strikeouts per nine. Liam Hendricks led the American League in saves and was the Mariano Rivera reliever of the year. There were three White Sox pitchers in the AL Top 10 in uh, B-War, including Lance Lynn at third, Carlos Rodon at fourth, Lucas Giolito at sixth. That's the first time since 1938 that the Sox have had three pitchers in the Top 10 in the AL and B-War. It was also only the sixth time in the last 50 years that the Sox have had two pitchers in the Top 10 ERA. Uh, that was Lucas Giolito and... Dylan Cease, um, Carlos Rodon was an all-star with a 5B war. Uh, for the first time since 1971, the Sox had two pitchers with 200 Ks. Again, Giolito and Cease. There would have been more on the leaderboards, but Lance Lynn was five innings short of qualifying. Carlos Rodon only made 24 starts with 132 innings. Uh, both of them actually were one and two in the AL for ERA among pitchers with over 125 innings pitched, um, but they didn't quite get enough. Number two, speaking of which, the injuries. So Aloy Jimenez only played 55 games and didn't look like himself coming back from his spring training injury before being traded. Nick Madrigal only played 54 and was already out for the year. Uh, Luis Robert. Had, was fantastic when he played over 900 OPS, but only played 68 games. Yasmani Grandel, again, fantastic when he played, uh, but only got a 93. Even Adam Engel, who was kind of an important, uh, low-key important player, only played 39. Uh, of course, Rodon and Lynn also missed time, so it's kind of a what could have been had everyone been healthy. And we're hitting four minutes, but I've got one more here. So number one, the Sox first division title since 2008. Yes, they were the only team over 500 in the division. Uh, yes, they were probably rightly criticized for a quote-unquote bum slaying. Only a 27-29 and 29 record against teams over 500. Only 18-24 and 24 in one-run games. But hey, it was the most wins in a season since 2005. 
third highest win total in the past 25 years, first division title since 2008, and there was that magical Game 3 playoff win. So as many issues as there were, and there might be next year, there's still plenty of optimism. So as you may have noticed in that last segment, I kind of play fast and loose with the whole four-minute thing, usually end up closer to four and a half minutes, but it is what it is. So the next segment I'm going to have is the top five games of the White Sox 2021 season. And, you know, I think there's going to be some debate over four and five. I don't think anyone's going to dispute the top three. And with that, we're going to roll right into it. Okay, so my first pick on the top five White Sox games of 2021 might be a little controversial, but I'm going to go with it. August 8th. Sunday Night Baseball on over the air on ABC to a national audience. The White Sox beat the Cubs 9-3. to um, Dylan Cease allowed three runs, but also struck out 10 and got the win. Eloy Jimenez homered. Um, so you had two players, of course, traded from the Cubs when they were minor leaguers, just doing some damage against them at Wrigley Field. Completed the sweep at Wrigley Field. Uh, the Cubs post-trade deadline weren't very good, but you still definitely got to enjoy those wins. Number four, April 8th, the home opener versus the Royals. Uh, it was Lance Lynn's first home start for the White Sox. He pitched a complete game shutout and struck out 11. The first Sox pitcher to comp- pitch a complete game shutout in a home opener since 1972. And the aforementioned Yermin Mercedes, Hit a 485-foot home run, kind of the signature moment of your mean mania. Just his bat flip after absolutely crushing that into left um, is kind of this enduring image of the 2021 season, I think, or one of them, because I'm going to get to a couple other important ones here in the top three. Number three, the Field of Dreams game versus the Yankees on August 12th. Again, this was a game that had a national audience, not necessarily a very big national audience, but hey, we'll, we'll take what we can get uh, as baseball kind of falls back in Americans' esteem. But this one, there was a lot of hoopla behind the game. Um, and there were, there were a number of people who not necessarily watch baseball in years who watched it. So you had the players walking out of the corn um, at that specially built field in Iowa. Um, and there was, there was also something else to this game. The White Sox had been swept by the Yankees at Yankee stadium. Two of them were walk-off losses. Uh, so I think it added a little bit of spice and drama to it. You had two very good teams. Um, and the ball was just flying out like crazy. Each team hit four home runs. Um, Aaron judge and John Carlos Stanton, both homered to take the lead in the top of the ninth off Liam Hendricks. Um, and then Tim Anderson just creamed an oppo taco <laughs> to right field to walk it off in the bottom of the ninth. Um, that's about as unforgettable regular season game as you can get. One of my family members actually said it was the only time a baseball game made him cry. I didn't cry, but I totally get it. So number two, uh, this is we're getting to the obvious ones here. April 14th versus Cleveland. Carlos Rodon, no hitter. 
Um, what's forgotten about this game was that Zach Blizak for Cleveland actually got shelled in the first inning, and Carlos Rodon had a 6-0 six, six lead by the time he took the mound in the second. But it didn't matter. He actually had a perfect game until he grazed Roberto Perez's foot with one out in the ninth. Um, I was texting my mom and childhood friends back and forth throughout the end of the game. Uh, Carlos Rodon, of course, a lot of people, including myself, sort of lampooned him being re-signed by the Sox, and this was just many times that he delightfully proved us wrong. And number one. Um, so, yeah, October 10th, ALDS, Game 3 versus the Astros. First Sox home playoff game in 13 years. First Sox home playoff win in 13 years. Uh, down 2 nothing in the series. Uh, made it kind of a little mournful going in, especially when the Sox were trailing 5-1 going in the bottom of the third. Um, then Yasmani Grandel hit a two-run homer. Uh, the unfairly maligned Lurie Garcia hit a three-run homer to deep center to give the Sox a lead. Um, that 6-3, the Astros caught up again. But then there was a whole lot of weirdness in the fourth, um, featuring Yasmani Grandel getting hit by an errant throw and five singles. But the Sox took the lead for good in that inning, ended up winning 12-6. Definitely a big feeling of missing out for me. Uh, one of my childhood friends was at the game. I was texting back and forth with him. And the blackout crowd was louder than the stadium has been in a long time. And so that's the top five. And as I mentioned, I keep going over four minutes. But this one I might actually be under because... This is going to be the top four games I attended, top four baseball games I attended, all teams. And yeah, I only made it to four baseball games this season, but it was nice being to any at all. Um, given, of course, the pandemic, I hadn't been to one since 2019. So it's nice to be back at the park, wherever that park was. And here we go. Number four in games I attended in 2021. Jupiter Hammerheads versus Daytona Tortugas, July 9th in Jupiter. Um, Hammerheads won 4-1, to one, so the Hammerheads are the Marlins' low single-A affiliate. The first, uh, It was the first baseball game I attended with another person since 2019. It's the second half of the whole seven-inning doubleheader thing. Uh, the Hammerheads actually held the Tortugas hitless for six and two-thirds innings before Hammerheads out there lost the ball in the lights. There were a couple hits and a run in that inning, but the game, probably the best pitching performance was Yermin Lara for the Hammerheads, five no-hit innings featuring eight strikeouts. Number three, U.S. National Baseball Team versus the Canadian Baseball Team, June 5th, the Super Round of the Baseball America's Olympic Qualifier in West Palm Beach, U.S. won 10-1. So it goes without saying because the Olympics happened during the MLB season, you don't have the best American players, Canadian, Dominican, Venezuelan, Puerto Rican. None of them have their best players available. So the U.S. Olympic baseball team is kind of a hodgepodge of minor league prospects and former major leaguers. Uh, Todd Frazier, David Robinson, Edwin Jackson were all former White Sox there. Florida State, former Florida State star Drew Parrish was there. Um, it was actually a pretty close game for a few innings. It was one to one after four. Uh, then the U.S. started hitting, and what really did was a seven-run eighth inning where there were actually six runs after there were two outs. Uh, Tristan Casas and Duran Duran, uh, both big-time prospects, 
uh, Casas doubled, Durant, Durant tripled, Luke Williams homered, uh, Todd Frazier homered. Those were the big blows. It was a small crowd, and there's always going to be some kind of cringeworthy stuff in the name of patriotism uh, when you're talking national teams. But it was a fun baseball game in nice weather. Um, the U.S., of course, went on to win a silver medal uh, behind a Japanese team, which was stacked with Nippon professional baseball stars because they do an Olympic break, and Major League Baseball does not. Uh, but, yeah, definitely one worth watching. Got to see Eddie Alvarez hit a triple. Um, you know, who ended up winning a silver medal with the baseball team after being a silver medal speed skater. Number two, May 14th, Jupiter Hammerheads versus Palm Beach Cardinals in Jupiter. Hammerheads won five to eight. My first live baseball game in almost two years. And since it's walking distance from civil society brewing, it was also my first brewery visit in over a year and my first ever Hammerheads game period. Perfect weather. As for the game, single-A baseball is wild. There were walks and errors and wild pitches galore. The Cardinals took a 6-0 lead in the second inning, and the Hammerheads scored six in the bottom of the inning, ended up winning 10-8. Marlins' top 10 prospect, Victor Mesa Jr., singled, doubled, and tripled, uh, and drove in three. The 2020 Cardinals' first-round pick, Jordan Walker, went two for four with an RBI single. And number one, of course, it's going to be a White Sox game. White Sox versus the Pirates, guaranteed rate field. Sox won four to two. Um, other than my parents' house and the house I live in now, I don't think anywhere else on earth has been more like home for me than Sox Park, even through all the name changes. My first game in the park in more than two years. My dad actually got a suite for friends and family, and I savored that. Um, and it was the first time I got to see Aloy Jimenez and Luis Robert play live, believe it or not. Um, and neither was spectacular. Uh, they went combined one for eight, but Aloy had a broken bat opposite field single. Robert made diving catch that StatCast rated as a five-star catch. Uh, the bullpen was on point, five and two-thirds scoreless innings after Giolito looked pretty off and had to leave due to a pull hamstring. And Yasmani Grandel and Jose Abreu provided most of the offense in a 4-2 win and it was just wonderful being back there again okay so this is where it gets a little bit more random this is top fives other baseball miscellaneous so this is going to be the point where a lot of people are going to have different opinions different top fives that's kind of the fun of it so um yeah it's kind of top five in whatever baseball related and there's plenty of stuff that could have made the cut and didn't quite, but, you know, doesn't mean I didn't, uh, wasn't concerned about it, didn't enjoy it. These are just a personal top five here uh, outside of what I've already talked about. So here we go. Okay, number five, Chibulote Marines. So Next Level Sports, a channel I didn't know I had until recently, started showing Japanese Pacific League games. And the Pacific League is essentially the American League of the NPB since they have a DH. And these were basically two-hour summaries of games. So I got into the Marines because they're managed by former Sox player Tadahito Aguchi. They've got a black-and-white color scheme and kind of feature a Hey, I Remember That Guy lineup of foreign players, including Brandon Laird, Leonis Martin, and Adaini Echeverria. Uh, they were also near the top of the Pacific League standings, and I kind of jinxed them. I ended up watching nine Marines games. They lost seven of them and tied two. Um, they didn't do extra innings this year in Japan, 
One of the ties was kind of a win since it advanced them to the Pacific League Climax Final Series, which is sort of the ALCS. But, you know, not, not a lot of great baseball that I ended up watching, but I'm still going to watch some of their games next season if it's available. Number four, the Samsung Lions. So last year when the ESPN was showing the KBO, I decided to root for the, the Korean baseball organization. I decided to root for the Samsung Lions because Lee Man Su, who was the former White Sox bullpen coach, was one of their all-time greatest players. And they had recent former Sox players like Tyler, Tyler Saladino and Daniel Palka. And they ended up finishing eighth of 10 teams. And I watched a lot of bad Lions games in 2020. So ESPN didn't renew the contract with KBO or put it on ESPN Plus, which is kind of annoying. So this year, I only watched bits and pieces of games on Naver.tv. And of course, they got much better. So Oja Il and Jose Pereira were two big acquisitions who had big years for them. And Kuja Wook and King Min Ho were kind of revitalized players, um, had excellent seasons. Um, and you had David Buchanan and Won Tain as leading their starting rotation. And Oh Song Wan, who is a good player in the majors, dominant closer in Korea, 44 for 45 in save opportunities with a 2.03 ERA, even though he's like 40. And they ended up having a tiebreaker for the number one seed in the KBO and a chance to go directly to the Korean series, but lost that one nothing. And Still had their first playoff appearance in the 2015, but lost both those games. So a whole lot of playoff disappointment to go around this season. Um, interestingly enough, the Marines and Lions both won their respective championships in 20, 2005, like the White Sox did. All three of them just went out hard this year. Go figure. Uh, number three, Minnie Minoso and Dick Allen. I've talked about that before. Jay Jaffe has excellent articles on fan graphs about their Hall of Fame cases. Minnie Minoso made the Hall of Fame, unfortunately not alive to enjoy it. He had the second highest B-War among American players, American League players from 1951 to 61, only behind Mickey Mantle, of course, the Sox first black player, oldest player to get a base hit. Um, so I heard some interviews with Charlie Rice Minoso, his son, his widow, Sharon Rice Minoso. Um, just heartbreaking that he's not alive to get in the Hall of Fame, but definitely well overdue. Uh, Dick Allen definitely deserved to be there as well, and it's a shame that he once again missed by only one vote. Uh, number two, this is going to be one that pretty much everybody does, uh, Shohei Otani and Vlad Guerrero Jr. There's so much hyperbole about Otani. Uh, it's hard to add to that. Uh, he did things that haven't been done since the days of Martin DeHigo and Babe Ruth. And even then, neither of those guys had a B-War over four as both a hitter and a pitcher. Uh, he's above, and he struck out 150 hitters while hitting over 40 home runs, a 9B war for the season. That said, Vlad Jr. came really close to winning the slash line triple crown. Um, he led the league in OBP and slugging percentage, uh, was close behind an average, and he almost won the traditional triple crown, too. He was, again, not far behind an average, led the league in home runs, finished in shouting distance of the RBI league. That that was an MVP season most years, but because of Otani and because Marcus Semyon had a slightly higher war, it wasn't to be. So this is way over four minutes, but I'm going to get to my number one here, which was comebacks. So you had Cedric Mullins, um, a 26-year-old with the pedigree of a 13th round draft pick out of Campbell University, playing for the Orioles. 
before this year, 632 OPS and seven home runs and over 400 at-bats. He had a 30-30 season, was an all-star. Trey Mancini came back from missing all of 2020 while recovering from stage three colon cancer. Uh, put up a pretty respectable 758 OPS with 21 homers. Um, you know, so again, two stories from the Orioles of all places that were two of the better baseball stories of the season. The Mariners uh, were projected to win only 70 games and had a sort of a revitalized year from Mitch Haniger. Ty France had a good year. A former KBO pitcher, Chris Flexen, was their staff ace. They ended up winning 90 games and only missing the playoffs by two games. So, you know, really impressive performance by them. So I think those are all stories that don't get as much play, but deserve it. So I think that last segment actually set a record for me going a minute and a half over. So it was really more like everything's five by five and a half, even though generally this show ends up being a lot of everything's five by four and a half. But either way, I was just rolling and I didn't feel like re-recording it. So before I go, I do want to pay tribute to Roland Hemond, uh, the former Sox general manager who passed away yesterday. Uh, he was in various roles in the Sox front office from 1970 to 1985, oversaw some bad things, but really turned some things around too. And uh, as people point out, some of those teams like the Southside Hitmen uh, the 83 team, um, you know, brought a lot of excitement to the South Side, maybe helped keep the Sox in Chicago. He ended up being an advisor with the Sox from 2001 to 2007. Actually, the White Sox won the World Series on his 76th birthday, which was kind of cool. Um, he also won World Series rings with the Diamondbacks. And uh, yeah, did a lot in baseball, won the Buck O'Neill Lifetime Achievement Award. So Rest in peace to Roland Heeman. Um, and yeah, that is pretty much it for this episode. Thank you to everyone for listening, uh, whether you're a longtime listener, all three or four of you among my family and friends, and maybe a couple random people in places that I still haven't figured out who they are. But hey, thank you for listening, uh, whoever you are. are uh, wherever you are. And uh, yeah, so I'm going to have a few more episodes coming up. Uh, the next one on my list of 2021 spectaculars is going to be beer. Then there's books. I'm probably going to get those out before the end of the year, but we will see what happens if time allows. Thank you again for listening, whether you actually enjoyed it or whether you hate listened. Uh, feel free to send me an email. My email address is everything's five by four at gmail.com. That's everything's five by four, uh, no apostrophe, and five X four. So everything's no apostrophe, five X four at gmail.com. And thanks for listening. And uh, as I always say, keep everything five by four. Happy holidays.